Change is inevitable. People hate change. What's an evolving business to do? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Life means change. So does business. Yet getting employees to go along with transformation in the organization can be a huge challenge. Fear is an obstacle. So is the natural tendency to guard one's turf against newcomers or those who are perceived as rivals. There's got to be a way to get your people on board with the dreaded prospect of change. My guest today is Renee Robertson, founder and CEO of Trilogy Development, a consulting firm specializing in talent development. Renee has developed a detailed methodology for guiding employees through organizational upheavals. She talks about why people block change, how they do it, and how their fears can be overcome. Her process centers on the use of internal coaches who work hand-in-hand with fellow employees and can help to head off potential disruptions caused by our natural aversion to change. How do you find such leaders? Where should they reside on the organizational chart? How can you ensure that changes stick and prevent the business from reverting back to its old habits? Here's my conversation with Renee Robertson. Renee Robertson, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Renee, why do people block change in an organization? Oh, well, that's a great great place to start. So I think, um, you know, there, there's lots of reasons why people block or resist change. And some of them could be, first of all, fear of the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing how it will impact them and their departments and organizations, the thought of losing control over the way they currently do things or a departure from the past, right, the way they used to do things, or even perhaps things like, oh, we've seen this happen before and this isn't, you know, it didn't go well last time, so why should it go well this time? I think play these sort of head games with ourselves whenever change is upon us. Right, some of it is just human. Right, there's yeah. there's a, a fear of change, and a fear of the unknown, and that's normal. And sometimes there's the threat to it, and the threat can be very real. You know, this is impacting the way I work. This is impacting my livelihood. So based on that, you know, people behave in sometimes different ways, or not so nice ways. <laughs> yeah. So a combination of something deep in the human psyche coupled with some of the, just the, the dynamics of organizational behavior as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, we get accustomed to our habits and our processes and how we work and that becomes comfortable and that becomes our norm. And yeah. then someone comes along and introduces a different way of doing something and, you know, we have to learn something different. So that in of itself requires sort of getting a, a new headset, if you will, and getting your head wrapped around what that means to you and then 
what that will mean to others around you and how you need to make those shifts inside of you in order to help impact the change that's happening. You, of course, have long experience in dealing with this tendency to resist change. What are some of the stratagems that people employ in order to block change, either overtly or covertly? Yeah, you know, I think um, some of the some of the things that I've seen are there's the, oh, yes, I'm on board with it, and they're nodding yes, and in their mind they're saying no. And then that can show up a lot of different ways. That can show up as simply just delaying certain activities that need to happen to, you know, implement the change. It could show up as derailing projects or taking them completely off task. Or sometimes, unfortunately, there's the the FUD factor, as I refer to it, which is the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, where people will just raise certain statistics or concerns or almost create a concern that may be real or may not be real, just to cause others to then feel uncertain about it and not willing to get behind it. Those are just a couple yeah, there just seems like there's a million different ways to do it. One of yeah. my favorite one of my favorite acronyms is Bohica, B O H I C A, which means "bend over here it comes again," which uh, kind <laughs> of is a, 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 a it's indicative of a certain cynical attitude that people have within companies, as you point out. You know, in, in organizations, they go through lots of things such as this, and it's like, oh, here we go again, and you just sort of we'll just weather this out. You know, right. We'll see right. it out. It'll be okay. But in the case of, in your case, you have been involved in some mega mergers, uh, yeah. which absolutely demand change. There's no choice at that point. You're bringing two gigantic organizations right. together and you're clashing them and you've got to do something. So you're up against a wall. And um, then it's really a crisis situation. And, and how do you allay some of the fears and, and if not the paranoia that come with people being involved in such situations? I look at it at three levels. Right. First, we have to think about ourselves and how we'll, we will sort of deal with the change and then our departments and then our organizations and, and the company. Right. So the first thing is, and I, I, I sort of refer to it as the 3A approach for myself. Okay, if change is afoot, then what can I anticipate? What scenarios can be played out and how can I anticipate that? What do I need to do? You know, what's in it for me? What's in it for my department or my team or my organization, and then how do I need to be as a leader? How do I need to show up? How do I need to support my team, and how do I get them on board? But it starts with self first. You have to get your head wrapped around it. Then you need to say to yourself, okay, what, what do I need to do? So how do I need to adapt to the new state of being? Do I need to be more flexible? Do I need to be more firm? Do I need to shift my style? Do I need different types of resources, and you sort of have to ask yourself those questions. And then once the chain is, is a, really upon you, then you can sort of what I call like course correct or adapt or adjust accordingly. Maybe the plan you thought you had might not exactly fit, so you have to tweak it a little bit. And you can, you can you know, sort of ad- adjust to the scenario. So that's sort of like my individual approach to it. But when you get into these like mega mergers and mergers and acquisitions or massive organizational transformations that require significant change, and sometimes, many times, it's fast and it's furious. And I think the first thing that needs to happen is sort of leadership needs to be clear 
on what is happening. They need to know what's the, what's the vision, right? What's the future state that they would like to achieve and how are they going to get there? And they really need to be realistic. You really need to think about what's the level of effort, what's the degree of impact, and how do we get people on board? Because that's really the next step, right? We need to enroll people in our vision and sort of have them be part of it. Your organization needs to be part of the future, the future that you're, you're leaning towards. So with that said, it's super important as leaders of change to communicate, set, set expectations first and foremost, okay, what this means, what's the degree of impact, when will it happen, and then manage the expectations through the process. And I can't say this enough. Communicate, communicate, communicate. People just want to know. You know, many times people can get on board with things if they just understand what's going to happen and what it means to them. And if they can't get on board with it, well, then that's a different scenario. Mm-hmm. But those are just, a, you know, a couple of the things. And, and as you start these transformations, I think where I've seen them done well is when you have people leading the change efforts that truly are change agents, if you will. They're resilient, they're adaptable, they're engaging, they can set the vision, they can execute against it, and they're people that other people want to be around. And they, they can inspire others to sort of get on board and support the change. And those are yeah. just a couple of the, couple, a couple ideas that come to mind. All those, of course, traits of the good leader. Um, we cannot, of course, deny the existence of the leader who believes that fear, <laughs> ignorance, and paranoia are is a management style. Uh, yeah. In that, in yeah. that imposing that organization supposedly makes people work harder, be, become more attentive, you know, that type of stuff. So there is that leader out there, but yeah. clearly you're arguing that that is not truly an effective leader when it comes to really managing change in an organization. Yeah, that happens. And I think from my perspective, there's probably a little of that, unfortunately, in all of us, because when you're in these, they're almost combustible situations. They're very intense. You're usually under significant pressure, whether it's a a cost reduction effort, if it's a merger and acquisition, if it's a new technology. There usually comes with it significant change and fast and furious deadlines. And many times I sense that that's where we go awry because we haven't clearly thought through the level of effort that the change will have on the organization and what it will take to get everyone enrolled and get them there. There are those that say rip off the Band-Aid and do it all quickly and fast, and that works. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't work. And I think that's the, that's the key component is really assessing up front carefully the degree of the change and the impact it'll have on the organization and to be thoughtful about how to get through it. And yes, there are leaders that are out there that sort of lead by with that style. And I think many times it's because of the pressure of the accelerated deadlines or the fabricated deadlines sometimes that sort of cause everyone to get a little crazy. Yeah, it seems like, in, in fact, anything you can do to allay fear could is a positive thing because it seems like a lot of the power plays and the politics that take place within organizations in a time of change are the direct result of people who are fearful. 
And mm-hmm. this is how they respond. And if and if senior management right. can somehow do something to address that, they can, I would think, minimize the possibility, not, not eliminate it, of course, but minimize the possibility of politics kind of poisoning or creating a toxic atmosphere within an environment undergoing right. change. Right. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. So, um, well, let's let's move on to your to your idea here of the importance of the internal coach mm-hmm. that can proceed and kind of make change happen in an organization in a positive way. First of all, what is an internal coach? So, an internal coach is someone that works inside an organization. They can be employed as a full-time employee, or they can be uh, an external or a contracted employee that's there to support the acceleration of the change and more importantly the people that are involved either leading the change or that have to execute the change or many times even being impacted by the change. All right, but you say it could be some someone actually literally internal within the organization mm-hmm. or it could be an outsider brought in to be an internal coach for that time. I would think that latter would be a more difficult thing to swallow for people who are there. It's like, who is this outsider coming in and telling us what to do, as opposed to you're not one of our own? Um, Is that a a danger? I think it it depends on the culture and the scenario. It can be because when there's there's large change occurring in organization, unfortunately, trust can be eroded or trust can be absent. So bringing in an external person might not be the best scenario. But then on the same side, if the internal person isn't vetted properly, they could, people being involved in the change could think that that person has an agenda. So it's super important for leadership to understand, the again, the level of change, sort of really how engaged and trusting is the organization, and then how can they vet and identify the best type of internal coaches. And if it's folks that are inside the organization, they're usually people that can be selected that are change agents themselves. They're highly adaptable. They're very knowledgeable. They can be, they can be in a leadership role or they can be a quiet leader. They're the, they're the people that others look to with confidence. Well, where should they be in the organization? How senior? I can imagine there's the danger of having them be too high up or too low down. So typically, where is an effective coach uh, in the organizational chart? That's a great question. I think it depends on the credibility of the person you put in the role. Okay, so if this is a person that's been with the organization and is perceived very positively, is held in high regard, is known for getting things done, has executed, and can manage sort of expectations at a senior level and have those types of conversations, but also yet engage at a frontline level where execution is probably going to happen, that's a good person. That person can sit anywhere in the org chart, probably someplace in the middle, However, it can be supplemented with others who may do some peer-to-peer coaching. So there could be individuals identified that are more frontline, that are there to coach and support their colleagues and their peers as they make the change. And then there could be others that are more middle and senior that are using coach approaches with maybe their supervisor or their peer group and they're taking on the role of a coach or using coaching techniques 
to help others facilitate the change in themselves and in their departments. It's so important up front, I can't emphasize this enough, to assess sort of the current state and the future state and really get to the understanding of how significant is the change and where the greatest level of impact will occur. Because from there, then you can sort of design, if you want to use internal coaches, where should they be, who should they be, what characteristics should they have, and then you can design a strategy that's appropriate for the change that is before you. You know, I find interesting the actual word coach, because it has two meanings, really. One is it implies a figure of authority, and that is kind of an other type of person. The other is it implies an enabler who is kind of an ally helping you to to realize your own potential. So is that the same with your internal coach as you, as you perceive this person, that, that this person has to be a little of both or more toward one or the other? I think it's more of an ally. This is someone who truly believes in your success and the success of the organization. And they're there to help you figure out what are the right strategies for you or your change team or your department, you know, fill in the blank. And they're there to support you figuring out what those strategies should be or as challenges arise, how to work through those challenges. So it's someone who is coach, advocate, cheerleader. These change initiatives can be pretty rigorous. They can be lengthy. You know, they can go on sometimes for years. So it's someone that truly believes in the outcome and in the people that are driving the change, and then also being impacted by the change. Like any uh, good consultant worth her salt, you have formalized this process to a certain extent, in your case with a four-step process, two steps of which you've already alluded to. Uh, One is access the current state. You talked about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other is setting up for the future state. I'm not clear on exactly what you mean by setting up, uh, first of all, sort of laying the groundwork or, or, or what exactly? Yeah, so in terms of setting up for the future state, really laying out what needs to happen in the organization. Once you know, for let's take it for example, say there's a major technical change that's happening. And once you understand what needs to happen when technically, then how do you set up for success? What are some of the activities that need to occur to ensure that the initiative is executed. It could be communicating and how do we communicate. It could be designing a social media strategy. It could be training. It could be open forums for people to ask questions about the change. So it's really preparing for what's ahead. So step three uh, sounds like a big challenge to me, and that is change architecture design. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. What is that? So once you understand, as I alluded to, these milestones and what's happening, really laying out a plan. So architecting, if you know this transformation or this merger and acquisition, whatever the change is, is going to be happening over the next few months. or And then there are certain things that need to happen during that time period. What are some of the things that can help to ready the organization, ready the individuals, that are leading the change and then also maybe being impacted by the change and putting it all together in a plan and architecting sort of the plan. 
of everything that needs to happen. So you stay stay the course. Because many times with large change initiatives, they miss their deadlines <laughs> again and again and mm-hmm. again. So by designing an architecture, you're, you're looking at the people, the process, the technology, and ensuring you stay the course. Of course, monitor the progress step four. Mm-hmm. That's got to be essential because so many change in- initiatives seem to work for a while, and then they kind of peter out, especially Mm -hmm. if the consultant goes away. Everybody just sort of goes back to their natural state. So tell me about how you monitor the progress. I'm a big believer in you inspect what you expect, and you really don't stop that. Because to your point, if the consultant or everyone gets comfortable, slowly behavior can revert back. By setting up certain goals or levels of performance, and inspecting them with your folks that are impacted by the change or driving the change or both and sharing it openly to say, okay, how are we tracking? How are we tracking on our progress? You know, are we, you know, I like red, yellow, green. We all do. Simple. It's clear. Are we green? Are we going? Have we stalled? Are we yellow? Are we red? Have we just stopped? And then having Are convers- we colorblind? Yeah, <laughs> having have well having those conversations on on okay. Are we still tracking? Have we stalled? What needs to happen? What do we need to maybe start doing again? What do we need to stop doing? And having those conversations because so many times the breakdown is in communication. So it's keeping yeah. those lines of communication open, keeping the expectation set, and inspecting that expectation. And doing it together in a collaborative way, to your earlier point, mm-hmm. to avoid that, that type of leader, if you create, it up, create this in, in a collaborative way where we're all contributing to the success, it's a lot easier to get through the change. Hold people accountable for the results as well. Exactly. Um, that, exactly. That's got to be important. You know, Renee, I'm curious. We're almost out of time, but I, I'm just sort of curious. What makes this topic so compelling to you? What is it about you your life, your personality that, that makes this whole topic resonate with you so much? Mm. So to you, you had mentioned an acronym earlier. When I started my career, I worked for a, uh, a company called MCI, Telecommunications, and we used to refer to it as many changes imminent <laughs> <laughs> because change happens all the time. It was a young company. It was very entrepreneurial. We were constantly building new products and services all in pursuit of divesting the telecommunications industry and providing a superior customer experience. So change was constant. And I enjoyed it. I happened to enjoy it. It was fun. It was fast. It was furious. And it sort of became part of my DNA. I like to be faced with different challenges. I like to be adaptable. I like to problem solve. And I like to create great experiences as people go through changes. That was the beginning part, and and through my career, I've had many different changes myself. You know, I moved from sales to marketing to talent management to human resources, so constantly putting change in front of me, and I liked it. I think it's how you learn, and it's how you grow. The book, the new book, is The Coaching Solution, How to Drive Talent Development, Organizational Change, and Business Results, available on Amazon as well as elsewhere, I'm sure. I will uh, link to it on in the show notes to the episode. 
I'm so sad that we're out of time because there's so much more we yeah. could talk about, Renee. Maybe we'll have you back again sometime to, to delve even deeper into this whole issue of talent development and how change is, is encountered by people of different ages and backgrounds. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Renee Robertson, for being with us today and talking about this issue of organizational change. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. It was a great conversation. That was my conversation with author and talent development expert Renee Robertson, talking about how to effect change within the organization. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.